weird finishes, powerful performances, and we learned a few things on this week of college football. Hold on to your seat cheeks. It's Michael Welch Podcast. All my blessings, all my blessings, all my blessings, all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one, I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat it turn into a belly. See, I'm stunned, so I'm all I'm thinking, please don't tell me. We had a lot of fun stuff, so let's just start right at the top of the top 25 with Georgia welcoming in the number 20 ranked undefeated Kentucky Wildcats, who they beat the life out of 51 to 13. They gave up a mercy touchdown there in the second quarter and kind of tuned out in the second half, but (laughs) Kentucky put up a few more points there. Uh, Carson Beck, 28 for 35, 389 yards and four touchdowns before the reserve Brock Vandergiff came in and uh, threw a couple balls around. Uh, did all right on the ground as well. Six yards per carry for Dijon Edwards. Kendall Milton got a touchdown as well. Brock Bowers, seven grabs for 132 yards and a touchdown as he continues to be the most dangerous weapon at the receiving uh, position, even though he's a tight end for um, Georgia, of course. His game logs this season, only one grab for three yards against Ball State, seven for 54 against South Carolina, nine for 121 and two touchdowns against UAB, eight for 157 and a touchdown against Auburn, and seven for 132 and a touchdown against Kentucky. Long balls in each of those, 3-13-41-40-49 and 49 as he's been needed more in the past few games. The defense had three sacks and four tackles for loss as they got after O'Leary, uh, O'Leary, uh, Devin Leary. Yeah, Devin O'Leary. There we go. There's an O in there somewhere. Um, a little bit there. Uh, Ray Davis, the running back for uh, the Wildcats, was muzzled a bit there. Less than four yards per carry. Uh, Leary himself was 10 for 26. For 128, had a couple touchdowns, less than five yards per reception. They just couldn't get much of anything going there. Uh, just not much of this game to enjoy as there was a busy slate in the evening when this was being played. And unfortunately, we see Kentucky kind of fall apart again here. Seems to be typical of them at this point of year and uh, just terribly unfortunate. They're still holding on to a second place in the East for uh, the SEC standings here um, with Florida. Uh, Missouri, uh, five and one, one and one overall. Um, of course, losing to LSU. We'll get to that in one second. Then we have Tennessee in the mix. Just very sloshy um, behind Georgia here with Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, and Tennessee in the mix. South Carolina's one and two already, and uh, Vanderbilt at zero and three. Got a few other Georgia stats in here. If you're from the South, you probably already know a lot of these things, but I think there's still uh, an interpretation. Uh, Georgia is historically a, a good program, but I think it's underestimated just how good Georgia really is sometimes. So I go back to remind myself every once in a while of how good some of these teams are. So I went back just to the 1997 season, which is not including this one. That's 26 seasons of football, and that was a that's a clear point because a few the few years previous to that, that's the beginning of the Jim Don Donen uh, tenure, and he had quite some problems um, getting started in the Ray Goff era 
was not very good at the back end of that. Some losing seasons in the mid-90s there. But out of the past, I went 26 seasons. I could have gone a nice quarter century. But out of the past 26 seasons, 16 of them, they've won 10-plus games. Or you can do 15 out of 25. That number works as well. For Bama and Oklahoma, comparatively, they have 18 double-digit winning seasons. And Ohio State has 20. I think those are the leaders right there. Also, they've won eight or more games in 25 of the past 26 seasons. So this has always been a good program. Going back to uh, Sports Reference was their uh, inaugural season, at least at 1902. That's 120 seasons. For 90 of them, they've had a winning record. And for that, I'm including this year. Um, If they get one more win, they'll have a, a winning record as well. So including this season, a 90 out of 120 seasons, they will have a winning record in Georgia football history, not including, of course, the 500 seasons. At the FBS level, that's 11th all-time right now. Let me see here. I think this is as of 2022, but that shouldn't impact too much here. Ohio State's number one, Alabama two, and a lot of that has been built on the last few years. And Ohio State and Alabama could go back and forth in the next few years. Michigan's right behind there, and they've got a few more losses. So that's probably not going to flip-flop within the next few seasons. Notre Dame's four, Oklahoma's five, Texas is six, USC seven, Penn State eight, Nebraska still holding on at nine with decades of past success, obviously. Tennessee 10, and then Georgia at 11. And of course, you start to get some other teams um, in the mix here, like the powerhouse Wisconsin Whitewater, um, Yale, Westchester, Harvard, St. John's, and Minnesota, Linfield, Mount Union, Wittenberg, Princeton, um, as you uh, add in other divisions. But they're 11th in the current uh, FBS level as far as total win percentage. And I think that's lost on a national uh, national view sometimes, just how good this program is. We think Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, both because of recent and past history with Bear Bryant, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, Penn State still in the mix, of course. Um, Nebraska, I think Florida State, Miami still come to some people's minds, and Miami's only a couple spots behind. We still think of powerhouses like LSU and Florida, who are further down the list. Um, And I think Georgia's still on on people's minds, but I think that sometimes that kind of gets lost just how um, prolific they've been. Of course, Mark Richt, um, for those of us in my age, uh, perhaps those under 40, we of course remember he was there for many many years at Georgia. His tenure went from 2001 all the way up to 2015. Of course, Kirby Smart here already in year, what is it, year eight under his tenure. But Mark Richt was there for a very long time and had quite a bit of success. He had, what is it, like nine double-digit winning seasons. And um, the, the knock on him was just that he couldn't win a national championship game. And of course, Kirby Smart comes in, took him five years, but he was able to to finally deliver six years. And he was finally able to do that for um, the Bulldogs. So that was just a tremendous, tremendous big deal to raise the ceiling on an already powerful program. And um, I know being in Michigan State country, there's um, some wherewithal in being yeah, a team that's been in the playoffs. Of course, we'll have the expanded playoffs coming in um, just next year. It'll be a big changes to the uh, 
conference play and how conferences are viewed in general and strength of schedule, especially with the Big Ten dropping some wild schedules. But um, things will be viewed in a different lens moving forward, and I think we lose track of just how good Georgia has been. And at the same time, just the quarter inch that that Kirby Sparts moved them to make them just an all-time college football program. Also, one other note, their bowl game record is insane. All-time, they're 63% winning percentage, 37, 21, and 3. And in the past, let's see here, 42 bowl games going back over the same 26-year span, they are 35-7 and seven in bowl games, which is just outrageous. So they always wrap up on a strong note to end the season. Moving along, number two, Michigan throttled Minnesota 52-10 to 10 before dialing it back. Uh, they dialed it back in the fourth quarter a bit there. Uh, Minnesota's just not very good. Uh, Athen, uh, the quarterback there for Minnesota, is 5 for 15 for 52 yards. A touchdown and a couple picks, including a pick six on the uh, first possession for the Gophers. They got the ball moving a bit on their uh, second drive, thanks to the freshman running back, Zach Evans. But um, things were pretty much shut down from there, just not able to get much going. McCarthy didn't have to do a whole lot in this game either. 14 for 20 for 219 and a touchdown. Ground game got going pretty good in here. Blake Corum, 9 carries, 7.7 yards a pop. Uh, got a couple of the guys in the mix here. Donovan uh, Edwards, of course, got a few carries. Mullings um, had eight carries for 47 yards as well. That's 5.9 yards per pop. Uh, he's a senior on that uh, roster as well. And uh, the defense did fine most of the time once they slowed down the run from what I saw. Number three, Texas and number 12, Oklahoma, and one of the biggest games and one of the biggest finishes on the day. And boy, oh boy, a 34 to 30 finish, Oklahoma showed something. And that is the fact that they, in year two under Brent Venables, are indeed a team to be reckoned with. Now, looking at the Big 12 standings here real quick. Oklahoma is alone at the top at 3-0. West Virginia is 2-0. Texas, Kansas, Iowa State, surprisingly. Texas Tech all 2-1 in the uh, conference standings here. And it's going to be a real a real hodgepodge uh, in the middle group again to this conference. Presumably, we have a matchup in the Big 12 Conference Championship game because no one's coming close to these two teams. Kansas State took a loss and uh, Kansas just isn't of the same caliber. West Virginia isn't isn't there. Um, so these two teams, Dylan Gabriel, 23 for 38, 285 yards, one touchdown, and his scrambling ability, moving the, moving the change, 14 carries for 113 and a touchdown. This was uh, a major sequence of events at the end of this football game. Texas was down. At the end of this, the score was, uh, let's see, what was it here? 27 to 20. Oklahoma was able to grab a lead. They did have the lead at halftime altogether, 20 to 17, but they did have a lead in the uh, back half of the fourth quarter. Texas was able to put a drive together to tie the game at 27 all with about 6-10 to play. 
critical point here, critical decisions with only, you know, the last half of the fourth quarter to go. That's when you start to, to question, you know, what your quarterback's doing, what your coordinators are doing, and really uh, look at the microscope. Under, look at them under the microscope for basketball. You know, you look at the last five minutes, the crunch time in NBA um, and in college basketball, the last really six, seven minutes. Um, you tend to look more at the last four because that's the last TV timeouts, the under four minute. But even um, before that, maybe the last six minutes of the game, critical decisions, critical um, possessions and stuff like that. For college football, I would argue that the entire last half of the fourth quarter, the last eighth of the game, you know, what, what are you doing? What are you not doing to help put yourself in a position to win the game? Well, Texas scores a touchdown, puts a five-play, 73-yard drive together in a minute 45 with uh, 6.10 left on the clock to tie the game up. They hold Oklahoma to three plays for four yards in a minute 20 and get the ball back. Oklahoma not able to execute there. Get the ball back, does Texas. 11 plays, 58 yards, three minutes and 32 seconds on a big drive. And Quentin Ewers under pressure a lot. He takes a sack even on this drive, and he's able to still get them down the field in position for a field goal that will presumably win the football game. They go up 30-27 to 27 with only a minute 17 left to go in the game. Oklahoma gets the ball back. Dylan Gabriel's able to hit passes for 11, 16, and 28 yards to move the ball all the way down to the Texas 20-yard line. They're able to draw a pass interference call to get it all the way down to the 6-yard line. couple run plays later sets up for a big touchdown pass. Dylan Gabriel's under pressure, and he's able to drop it in the back of the end zone to Nick Anderson for a big touchdown. A shocker. The extra point makes it 34-30. to Texas actually gets three plays off, I believe, to end the game. And a Hail Mary makes it all the way down to the end of the end zone. It's punched away. Oklahoma, after a horrid year last season, is able to hold on in the Red River rivalry, holding on to a grudge since last season, a 49 to nothing thumping. And um, they come back and get revenge on Texas, who some will contest was one of the best teams, if not the best team in college football entering the week. Now, Texas's defense, which, if you remember, was pretty awful not that long ago. They did have a sack in this game, five tackles for losses, knocked it half a dozen passes away, but they still gave up a whole lot to the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, Quinton Ewers on the offensive end, 31 for 37. For 346, did a great job. Uh, one touchdown and a couple picks. He also had a fumble. Um, he's still an excellent quarterback, but he still makes his mistakes. Um, the running back, uh, Jonathan Brooks, 22 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown. He's great considering they've lost, um, two great running backs there. Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, both going to the NFL there. Uh, the bears taking Johnson and of course, Robinson going to the Atlanta Falcons, but, uh, they found another great back to run in his place. So the offense Still able to click pretty good there. Whittington at 10 catches for 115 yards. Worthy at 8 for 108. 
But Oklahoma's defensive front, they had five sacks. They had 10 tackles for losses. They were very active. This was not a very good defense at all last season, and they were very productive and did a lot against Texas. And uh, it was very impressive. That was particularly impressive. Uh, Dylan Gabriel does a great job moving the pocket. And uh, you can't underestimate what he's done. He's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks so far this year in college football. He's completing over 72% of his passes. He's got 16 touchdowns and two picks. Perhaps he should be in the Heisman conversation after a big win like this. I think both defenses are legitimate threats when they play top-tier opponents. However, neither one will play a real good team on the rest of their regular schedule. Oklahoma's got Central Florida, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, BYU, TCU. Half of those teams will probably struggle to make bowl games at this particular point in time. Um, Kansas, of course, being the best team but and the best offense, quite frankly. Texas has got Houston, BYU, Kansas State, TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech with who knows at the quarterback position there. So these are the best offenses each other is going to play all season, and they're not really going to be tested by any comparable competition the rest of the way, um, which is kind of too bad. You'd like to see what Oklahoma would do against a quality opponent, but that probably won't come until they play Texas again, and then once uh, the, the postseason comes around. But still, they legitimately look like they could be one of the 10 best teams in the country, and Texas is still right there as well. Number four, Ohio State finally takes the command of uh, the Maryland game, 37-17. to 17. It doesn't happen until the third quarter. I still don't know about Kyle McCord. I think that's a widely shared consensus for the most part. He did finish 19 for 29 for 320 and a couple touchdowns. He did make a couple big throws in this. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. and even Julian Fleming close to the goal line. But when you go back and you watch those balls, the one to Fleming, he had to come back for it and fall down. It was a walk-in touchdown, I believe. The one to Marvin Harris was um, underthrown as well and behind him, I believe. There was uh, another drive extender. I think he threw it to Marvin Harrison multiple times on one of their first few touchdowns. Another time there was a pass interference zone that helped them get down the field. And sometimes these great wideouts are just open, waiting for a, a guy to lob an open ball to them. So part of the difference between just becoming like a good quarterback and becoming the top-level guy is being able to make the tight throws, the difficult throws outside the numbers, um, the tights in between defending defender throws, good reads, and I'm not sure he's doing like any of that right now. I'm still not really impressed with him at all. Uh, Tulia Tagaloa uh, and the Cherpins are still the best of the middle class in the Big Ten. 21 for 41, 196 yards, a touchdown, a couple picks, and it's just too bad because they were playing very well initially. Took a 10-0 lead. And it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. Just weren't able to hang with Ohio State, especially once the uh, defense for the Buckeyes woke up a bit there. 
The ground game was not great for Ohio State. Travion Henderson did not play um, three yards per carry for Chip Travenum. Uh, 20 carries for 61 yards. Just not not good. Um, after sack yards, they had about 80 yards rushing, but just not not good performance by the ground game. Harris finished with uh, eight catches for 163 and a touchdown. They're still looking like the third best team, I think, in the Big Ten behind Michigan and Penn State, depending on how you feel about those two squads. Number five, Florida State bashed Virginia Tech 39-17. They jumped out 22-0 early, and that's where the bulk of the damage was done for Florida State. And I didn't watch a ton of this game, so I hate to watch that and say that they're really just did a lot of great damage because they also had 12 penalties for 99 yards. They also tore apart Virginia Tech for 7.8 yards per carry, which is an abnormal amount as they rolled up uh, 282 yards on the ground. Trey Benson had 11 carries for 200 yards. That's over 18 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Travis had uh, 18 for 24 for 170 and two touchdowns. They had a few drives that sputtered into not much, three, four play drives. They also had a couple explosive drives, one, two plays and a touchdown. Um, so just a weird, weird game. Um, but I'm not sure it shows that they're just a dominant force either. Uh, Virginia Tech isn't the dumpster fire that they have been in past seasons, but they're not uh, a world beater either. So I'm not sure that a 20 plus point win just shows that, that Florida State was firing on all cylinders, but just a... Weird game where uh, the Hokies just couldn't stop Florida State at all on the ground. So they, of course, have better competition coming up. Uh, Syracuse and Duke at home, followed by uh, road trips to Wake Forest and Pitt. So with Duke uh, in a couple weeks, maybe no Leonard in that one, which will be unfortunate. But we'll see how they do against uh, a little bit better competition coming up. Number nine, USC. Survived in three overtimes against Arizona, 43-41. to Now, this has got a lot of interesting elements to it and was a heck of a game to watch. 17 to nothing was the lead for Arizona to start. Noah Fifta, the freshman quarterback, started again for Jaden Delora, who's been out, banged up. It's possible Noah will be the starter moving forward as well. In this one, he was 25 for 35 for 303 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. He played very well. He had him up 17 to nothing early, hitting his big receiving targets, cowing 10 for 88 and four touchdowns. McMillan, six for 138. Had him rolling. Coleman at the running back position at 6.5 yards per carry. For 143 yards, was tearing up the USC defense. And as they do, the Trojans stormed back from 17 to nothing and was able to come all the way back through the next two plus quarters and outscore the Wildcats 28 to 3, taking the lead late in the third quarter to go up by eight points. It wasn't until the fourth quarter, the back end of the fourth quarter, uh, that Arizona was able to put a 10-play, 75-yard drive together to tie the game up. 
They were able to put six on the board and then hit a two-point conversion time the game at 28 apiece. Coming down the stretch, they forced a three and out by USC. Stunning that USC couldn't move the ball at all. And Arizona was able to get it back in crunch time with about 6.20 left to play. They burned 10, uh, 10 plays, 46 yards, in just over four minutes, getting the ball down the field. And they missed a 50-yard field goal that kind of got jammed up to potentially take the, uh, take the lead there. Given the USC the ball back with just over two minutes to play in a tie game, you know they're going to go down and potentially win the game. That's basically a, that should be over a 50% uh, win rate if they show the win predictability thing that they that they do on ESPN. That's ridiculous. So they do. ESPN charges right down the field. They got all the way down to inside the five-yard line. And we get the weirdest ending of regulation. One of the weirdest endings of regulation, if there weren't so many on this day, including Oklahoma, Texas, that we've seen in a while from what seems to be a well-run team. So to recap, Arizona goes up big with a backup quarterback who's a freshman. USC, as they do, comes storming all the way back, all the way back and take the lead. Arizona themselves ties it up, including hitting a two-point conversion, then stops USC from taking the lead, tries to take it themselves on a field goal attempt that misses. USC has just enough time to go all the way down the field and to set up their game-winning field goal. And on first and goal, Caleb Williams throws a pass that's very dangerous and could have been picked off, but it's incomplete and stops the clock. On second down, he attempts an option handoff that is fumbled and he has to fall on the ground and fall on the fumble to prevent it from, you know, falling to the wrong hands there. Then with the clock running down, they have to get up and uh, take a timeout. I think about spiking the ball, and they have one timeout left to use, and the clock's running down, running down. You're like, hey, you just almost threw a pick, stopped the clock, then you uh, almost fumbled. Now you fell on the fumble. Now the clock's running down. Are you even going to get a chance to kick a field goal? Then the field goal attempt comes, and the snap is super high. The snapper has to stand up and grab the ball and place it down for the kick. Kick is blocked, long snappers hurt, and we go to overtime. Just a weird sequence in place that has the whole Coliseum groaning. So now we're in overtime. Three plays, USC scores a touchdown. One play, Arizona scores a touchdown. Double overtime. Arizona scores first. Great job. They go on for the extra point. Except with the new overtime rules as of last season, you're now automatically in the two-point conversion range. So Arizona has to go for two. Coach doesn't even realize that. So he takes the field goal unit off and puts a team on to go for two. They don't get it. USC goes out, scores a touchdown. They go for two. Don't get it. So now we're in sudden death, triple overtime. You run one play from the two-yard line. If both teams are tied after each getting opportunity, you go to the fourth overtime and you do it again. So USC runs their play. They run all their personnel to the left. Kayla Williams takes the snap, rolls right where nobody is to throw the ball, and there's no routes developing. 
And it's a super weird play to the point where one of the rushers coming over seems to slow down in going after him. Or maybe both the guys seem to slow down. And Caleb Williams just slowly makes his way to the end zone and eventually just dives in and gets the two-point conversion. It's not a touchdown anymore. It's now counts for two points. And uh, just very strange. So Arizona now gets their opportunity, and they run it to the left. And the running back ends up getting hit immediately and pushed so far back that he ends up about the 15-yard line. Just completely blown up. I don't know why they ran a play that I believe they'd run multiple times in the game. I'm not sure why they took it out of the hands of their quarterback, who, freshman or not, had got them to that point the whole game. And you can question whether or not Arizona should have actually just gone for two points in the win in the very first opportunity, very first overtime, when you actually have a choice whether to go for two or not. Just go for two in the kill right there. It's now popular um, thought process. You should, you should just go for that. 50-50 chance to get it right there if you're playing to your strengths rather than go multiple overtimes against a, a better better offense. I do not like this new sudden death rule. I don't know that I'm alone in that. But to uh, it takes a lot of elements out of the game, most elements out of the game. And I don't like the shootout process. Just one play. Make it or don't. I don't like that at all. Let them drive. I still like the idea of them driving the field using all the elements of trying to get the ball down the field. So regardless, Arizona falls short. They're now three and three. Still a good program. May have found a quarterback. USC still standing at six and oh, but my God, does the defense look bad? The offensive line multiple times. Let multiple defenders in the backfield on a three-person rush. They look atrocious at times. They've got Notre Dame this week. Then they've got Utah. Then they play at Cal, who's not to be slept on. Then they've got Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. It's not hyperbole to say they could lose all of those games. All of those games. They played San Jose State, Nevada, Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, and Arizona so far. Arizona and Colorado hopefully will make bowl games, but none of the rest are going to. So this is just not uh, actually between the rest of those teams. I don't know if they've won a handful of games. So USC, man, they've got to have some problems coming up. Notre Dame was ranked 10th, and they went on the road to Louisville. He was ranked 25th at the time. The Cards, 33-20, to 20, beat the hell out of Notre Dame. Five turnovers to one. So minus four turnover margin for Notre Dame. Sam Hartman had three picks. Louisville, in addition to three uh, forced turnovers there, five sacks, eight tackles for losses. And they just made a real mess of things for Notre Dame, who rush, rushed for 50 yards. Just a terrible, terrible showing there. Uh, Esme, Audric Esme had 10 carries for 20 yards. He was also uh, off the field with an injury. I don't recall if he ever came back. Um, they got uh, Mitchell Evans involved a little bit. Four catches for 71 yards and a touchdown. I think that was the late touchdown. Um, and that, it just, it was bad. It was bad from the beginning. 
Interception on the first drive for uh, Notre Dame was turned into a touchdown. Uh, there was a fumble as well in there, and it wasn't until late that uh, Notre Dame put another score on the board to even pull this within uh, a couple scores there. So Jack Harlow celebrated on the sideline. Donovan Mitchell celebrated on the sideline. But Louisville, with a really good offense and just a really well-coached team, dominates Notre Dame after they've got a, a tough schedule with Ohio State and Duke. And next week, they've got USC. That'll be an interesting game with both of these teams having some question marks. But uh, that's next on deck. That's what's coming up for Notre Dame. Five and two already. Still a good football team. Just a, a brutal stretch before their bye week in a couple of weeks here. And Louisville, again, the easy schedule continues here. Georgia Tech, Murray State, Indiana, Boston College, NC State, and Notre Dame down. Pitt is next, followed by Duke, maybe with a quarterback. Uh, then Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami, who we'll get to in a second, and then Kentucky, who was splattered. So um, this should be, you'd think, a 10-win team this year. The next big game was Alabama surviving Texas A&M 26-20 giving them a clear pathway to the SCC championship game at the moment. Milrow had to throw his way to victory 21 of 33 for 321, three touchdowns and an interception. Not a good ground game at all for uh, Alabama. Just over 50 yards rushing as a team. If you take out sack yardage, Texas A&M, that big defensive front there, Six sacks, eight tackles for loss. But on the flip end, Alabama, five sacks, six tackles for loss. A lot of questionable decisions by Jimbo Fisher late. You can read all about those, certainly. Um, they took a safety late. Uh, Alabama had an opportunity to scoop and score, uh, uh, to add another score to the board. And unfortunately, one of the defenders hit uh, you had a blindside block that brought the whole thing all the way back. I think that resulted in, was that a field goal? It certainly took a touchdown off the board for Alabama. So this margin arguably could have been worse, but ultimately the tide pulled it out. 344 to 306 was the yardage advantage. Same number of first downs, exactly the same on third down conversion rating. Uh, Texas A&M did a little bit better on the ground. 14 penalties though, for 99 yards for Alabama, I think that's the, is that not the second most ever by the Crimson Tide under uh, Nick Saban? They need to get that cleaned up. It was, what, nine pre-snap penalties? Just horrific. Horrific. Needs to get that better. And uh, two turnovers versus one for Alabama, or excuse me, for Texas A&M. And uh, they still managed to, to pull out the game there. Max Johnson did not look awesome for the Aggies. 14 for 25, 239, touchdown, pick, had some problems of his own, but um, this was, they were in it. I mean, they were in it, but a missed field goal late uh, in order to try and cut the margin. Arguably, they still should have should have gone for it to score the touchdown in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, and um, just some bad play, just some really bad play. Um, should have gone for it a couple times. It's just bad decisions all over for, for Texas A&M. They still had an opportunity to win this. They were up in the turnover margin. They were up in penalties. They didn't rush for a lot, but they also held Alabama to the grinder 
didn't allow them to run the ball at all. Forced Jaden Milrow to throw, which is exactly what you want to do. Not great with that, but he was able to get the ball down the field. Career day for him. And um, they got the sacks that they wanted, the pressure, but still just came up short and they had an opportunity, a few of them. So rough. You're going to hear a lot about Jimbo Fisher. Should he be fired? Should he not? The buyout, same old stuff. Realistically, he's not the only coach at a major uh, power five school or major position right now that's getting out coached or has questions. And I'm not just talking about, you know, assistant turnover and all that kind of thing. Do we have the right guy for the job? Head coach is what I'm talking about. Michigan state is the only area where there's a, a head coach vacancy at the moment, but perhaps Minnesota starts to question things a little bit. Northwestern is working on an intern coach. Illinois is having some problems right now. We got some heavy hitters. Clemson's got to be surveying what's going on right now. Notre Dame. Uh, Miami had a horrible gaffe, but the coach isn't, isn't going to be out there, but got to see improvements, uh, I assume, moving forward. Florida is in year two. Um, under Napier, got to wonder what's going on there. Mississippi State's got to be looking for a new coach. Um, so... Big and smaller schools or mid-tier, I guess, power five schools alike. Um, I think a lot of a lot of different institutions have questions right now, but Jimbo Fisher definitely at the top of that list. Uh UCLA comes out of their bye, as does Washington State, and they head with the number what 17 ranking, number 13 ranking to UCLA, and they get absolutely crunched. Dante Moore doesn't play Great. 22 for 44 for 290, a touchdown and a pick. That's a real shame. They do get the ground game going with Carson Steele hitting 140 yards at 4.7 yards per carry. But they do have three sacks. They have six tackles. They do force, what is it, five turnovers? Their Instagram right now has a a reel of all the turnovers, all the picks, all the first fumbles. Uh, Four turnovers, I guess it is, altogether. And, um... They uh they do a great job holding the Cougars to two of thirteen on third down conversions, less than a yard per rush. I mean, it was uh, UCLA's defense is much better this year. They might actually be outside of Utah, might be the best unit in the Pac-12 in its entirety. Might be better than Oregon, Washington. Um, yeah, that might be the best group. They certainly shut down Washington State, not able to get much doing. Still not a particularly impressive UCLA group. Need to get quarterback uh, and Dante Moore kind of figured out there. The Pac-12 standings right now. Of course, USC is five, uh, excuse me, six and zero right now. Oregon and Washington State play this week. They're both five and zero. Then you have Oregon State there, five and one, two and one in conference play. And then you have Utah at four and one, UCLA at four and one, and Washington State at four and one. All of them are one and one in conference play. And then you drop off to the Colorado, Arizona, California middling level there. As of right now, they're all one and two in conference play. And then Stanford and Arizona State at the uh, rather stinky bottom there. So again, six teams hovering in this top layer. At the moment, although with USC being 4-0 in conference play and Utah, UCLA, Washington State sitting at 1-1 at the moment, there's a big discrepancy in the standings there. We still have to differentiate, um, you know, whether some of these teams are, are clearly head and shoulders above others. And I'm thinking Oregon, 
Washington types, um, since Utah still got quarterback problems. Uh, Oregon State, Washington State still don't necessarily look up to the level of uh, Washington and Oregon, and USC's defense is going to be a real, real um, shot in the foot. So, but we'll see. Oregon and Washington play each other. Not necessarily that they'll be a barometer of uh, the rest of the league, but they'll play each other, of course, this Saturday. North Carolina, 40-7 to over Syracuse. They come out of their bye and promptly blow the hell out of the Orangemen. Not a lot of problems here for Drake May. Three touchdowns and a clean game, 442 yards, 33 for 47. They also get it done on the ground. Amarion Hampton, over five yards of carry. Um, Drake May also has a touchdown on the ground as well. So great job there. A couple receivers over 100 yards apiece. I guess May did have a, a fumble in this, forgot that one. But um, no problems there for the Orangemen as a 4-0 start turns into 4-2 overall, 0-2 in conference play, unfortunately for that crew. Just rough to be an Orangeman. And the Tar Heels coming up here, they will get Miami, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Campbell. They return to conference play with Duke, Clemson, and NC State. They're going to have a good shot here um, to be undefeated heading into the last three games of the season. Possible 9-0. We'll get to Miami in a moment here. Staying in the Pac-12, or moving back to the Pac-12, Oregon State was ranked 15th. They got involved in a shootout here, 52-40. to They won at Cal. Again, this was on the Pac-12 network. I did not get an opportunity to actually watch the game. DJ Ungalele, I think this is a career game, 19 for 25. Five touchdowns, 275 yards. Just lit up the uh, Golden Bears' defense there. On the back end, uh, Oregon State couldn't stop anything that Cal was doing. Fernando Mendoza did a great job. 21 for 32 for 270 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Over 200 yards on the ground is where the real damage was done for the um, Golden Bears. And uh, it was just a back-and-forth game. Not a lot of defense, um, over 50% third down conversion rate for both teams, a few turnovers, not an egregious amount of penalties, and both teams um, just doing a great job. I mean, it was done through the air for the Beavers, over 10 yards per pass, 4.7 yards per carry, and for Cal, not a great throwing uh, day, down the field at least, but over 7 yards per rushing attempt. That I know. Um I don't know the particulars, but I know that uh, Oregon State's going to look like a middle Pac-12 team if they can't stop California's offense. So, Old Miss traded blows with LSU last week and calmed down a bit in a 27-20 win over Arkansas, who falls to 2-4. Another team that's struggling a bit over the past couple of years. Difficult schedule, but Arkansas is now 0-3 in conference play. K.J. Jefferson, two touchdowns, two picks, including one late, I believe, that cost them. 25 for 39, 250 yards. Again, had an opportunity. Um, Just a touchdown difference in this one. 196 yards for uh, Old Miss. Jenkins, 18 carries for 65 yards. Wasn't awesome. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, 7.2 yards per carry on 13 attempts as he got involved a little bit more in the uh, mix there. He is a senior, so he's been around for a while. The defense did a whole lot here, though. In addition to forcing the 
turnovers, five sacks, 10 tackles for loss. I kind of had this going on my, on my side screen and I just expected more points out of this game, but they just hopped on the hogs and, and took them out. Uh, Arkansas also had 10 penalties in addition to the two turnovers and all the sack damage. Only six yards per passing attempt, a little 1.2 yards per rush, so just over a yard per rush. And um, Ole Miss didn't have to do a whole lot. Um, Arkansas was able to keep the ball moving, 7 for 16 on third down. I think that's why the total didn't get too crazy. They were able to move the ball a little bit down the field. Um, again, because our Ole Miss doesn't play a lot of great defense, but Arkansas just not a lot uh, going in the long run. So Ole Miss technically... Still in the race for the uh, West of the SEC. They're 5-1, 2-1 in conference play. That is just behind LSU and Alabama. Okay, Miami. Have we got that time? Well, let's talk Missouri and LSU first. 49-39 to was the final. That was 23rd LSU over 21. Missouri, who looked really good early at home. Uh, I watched a whole lot of this. I watched most of this until it got out of hand late. LSU outscored the Tigers, well, the other Tigers, 22-7 to late to win by 10. Just unfortunate. Uh, Jaden Daniels, 15 for 21 for 259. Three touchdowns, also 130 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Logan Diggs, Diggs had 134 on the ground and a touchdown. Uh, there's no defense uh, in this game at all. Brady Cook, 30 for 47, 411, two touchdowns, two picks, and uh, 11 catches, 149 for Luthan Burden. By far and away the best receiving talent for the Tigers there. Cook had some fumbling issues as well in the game, and it just really fell apart. Like They just weren't able to keep up with um, LSU. 22 penalties in this game, which is just astounding. 6.4 yards and 5.5 yards per rush. Just uh, a lot of yards, over 1,000 yards. I think we we're 1,060 or something like that. LSU just able to, to come back here with better offensive weapons and put it out of reach. It's just terribly unfortunate, really. The second half alone, Missouri missed two field goals, three field goals. Um, they had a pick six, I believe, and had a turnover on downs as well. Uh, just a much worse second half for Missouri. Still a good team there. Um, still looking to finish probably second behind Georgia. One and one so far in, in conference play. And uh, the schedule coming up, though, not the worst. They uh, have games against Kentucky next. Then they have South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and Arkansas. Still very winnable. Um, and this can be a, a team that possibly wins 10 games. That's still on the card for Missouri. Wyoming was also able to get their hands on Fresno State and win that one 24-19 over a ranked Fresno State team. The biggest win for Wyoming since the 90s. Uh, Andrew Peasley was 19 for 27. He had 13, no, 13. He had three touchdowns and 183 yards. Uh, was able to uh, to get the ball moving there against Fresno State just enough to, uh, to win the game. Mikey Keene was 23 for 35. 218 and a touchdown, not able to get the ground game going for Fresno State, who converted 7 for 15 on third down. There are also um, eight penalties for 93 yards and a, a 
turnover as well. But again, no ground game there. Wyoming was six for 11 on third down, kept a clean game, only a couple penalties. Very good at that. Uh, 3.7 yards per rush was still better. 7.1 yards per pass was better. And they just eventually um, were able to, to gain on the Bulldogs. There was the Wyoming Cowboys. Okay. So Oklahoma had a crazy ending there against Texas in the Red River rivalry. We had a wild USC ending against Arizona. We had some other wild stuff. Louisville beating Notre Dame so handedly. Maryland playing a a big game against Ohio State. Texas, Alabama being good to the very end. UCLA's dominant, well, not dominant, dominant defense, I would say, but in a good game. Against Washington State, a shootout, LSU and Missouri. And Miami and Georgia Tech. What in the holy hell? So first off, this game was 3-0 at the half, and only because Miami kicked a field goal at the end here. But Miami is coming off a bye. Now don't forget, going into that bye, Tyler Van Dyke, who had been benched after uh, last season at one point, after horrible performances, um, he was thought to be an NFL guy. He came back this season, looked good, had a career passing day against uh, Texas A&M, who they shredded 48-33 to about a month ago now. Looked really, really good. Five touchdown passes. They also beat like Miami of Ohio, who could win the MAC. That's something. And then they had a couple easy wins in there as well, Temple and Boothane. Then they went to the bye week, feeling like a really good team, right? Quarterbacks looking up. Team's looking up. Defense is really good. Solid team, right? Georgia Tech, on the other hand, does not look so good. And their opener, they let Louisville come back at the half and beat them 39-34. to They lost to Ole Miss, 48-23. to They survived SC State. I shouldn't say survived. They beat a FCS-level team. And they managed to beat Wake Forest on the road. And they came home and lost to Bowling Green last week, 38-27. to Georgia Tech is not a great football team by any stretch. However, they go on the road. They play Miami coming out of a bye. Good Miami team, right? And they give them absolute hell. Tyler Van Dyke looks absolutely lost in space. He has... Passes, he skipped a pass off the 20 yard pass off the turf at one point, wasn't touched, bounced it off the grass. Has the fans booing, or at the very least, groaning loudly. The broadcast crew is very confused. He throws a ball in the end zone in a triple coverage that's picked off. I mean, both teams are doing that. Georgia Tech does have transfer Haynes King in there, the former Texas AM Aggie. He's been banged up over the past couple of years and eventually uh, transferred out of the program. But he, former, at least five, four-star quarterback, at least four-star quarterback. But, um, man, he looks horrible. The team can't move the ball at all on offense. They're turning it over. Georgia Tech is moving it a little bit on the uh, defensive end. Although the defense is able to, uh, to ultimately get stops and get the ball back. And that's all before half. In the second half, things get going a little bit. And it ultimately turns into a 20-17 to 17 Miami game 
late in the fourth. And uh, Miami's got the ball. They can actually win the game, uh, have it in their possession. All things are going to be fine, right? This was a 19 and a half point spread at one point for Miami. All I have to do is take a knee, survive the game. They won by three. Whatever, right? Throw it aside. We sucked. We'll figure it out later. And it's been all over the place, all over the uh, college football world now. Mario Cristobal decides not to take a knee and run out the clock. It's instead handed off. Running back fumbles gives Georgia Tech the football. Georgia Tech runs, I believe it's three plays, gets the ball down the field, and ultimately wins the game when Haynes King pitches his only touchdown of the game. He finished 12 for 25 for 151 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And Georgia Tech only had 250 yards of offense. About a third of it came on the game-winning drive. But a 44-yard touchdown pass dropped into the hands of Leary, his top receiver. And they scored a touchdown with one second left to take the lead. And it's not the first time Mario Cristobal's had this problem. has been posted all over the place now. Back in 2018 when he was at Oregon, he did the same thing. Didn't take a knee when he should have against Stanford. Ultimately lost the game that went to overtime. Horrible decision to not take a knee. You had the game won. It was won. It wasn't a question. You just had to take a knee. And... um cost them the game. They're now 4-1. and one. They look bad. The quarterback looks bad. The defense doesn't look good. And um, the roster has to be questioning their head coach right now. Tyler Van Dyke was 24 for 36, 286 yards, one touchdown, three picks, one ball skipped off the turf that was untouched, and interception in the, the end zone and triple coverage. Not good. Rest pro. Top receiver, 13 targets, 12 catches, 144 yards. But just a real bad, um, real bad game. Real bad luck for uh, for Miami overall. And Georgia Tech's 3-3. Three and three. Got to be pretty thrilled about that. That actually puts them 2-1 and one in conference play. That actually puts them in fifth in the ACC right now and drops Miami down towards the bottom. Georgia Tech could make a bowl game. Boston College at home, Syracuse at home, Virginia on the road are all on the schedule, as are North Carolina, Clemson, and Georgia. So this was actually a massive win for them. Miami's got a road game to North Carolina next, then Clemson at home. Then they get Virginia at home, and then they play at NC State, at Florida State, home against Louisville before ending at Boston College. There's a lot of opportunities to catch losses if they can't figure out what in the hell just happened in that game. Not just in how it ended, but that entire dumpster fire of a performance by a good chunk of everybody involved. The roster, the, the head coach, the everything was a disaster. Touching on a few other games, I don't know if anyone caught the Thursday night Louisville, uh, Liberty holding off Sam Houston State at the uh, goal line there. Sam Houston State's now 0-5 in their first year at the FBS level. Their losses, though, 14-point loss at BYU, the Big 12, 10-point loss to Air Force, 
who could win the Mountain West. Smashed by Houston. Lost by 7th Jacksonville State, who could uh, win the Sun Belt. And the other team that could win the Sun Belt is this Liberty Squad, who they had a real opportunity to beat. So Sam Houston hanging in, and, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, not a bad idea to look at them covering the spread in some of the games they have coming up. Oklahoma State on Friday night came out of the bye, as did Kansas State, and Stillwater was bumping as they smashed Kansas State 29-21. to Really wasn't that close. Uh, pick six was involved in the mix there. And um, Oklahoma State was just better. Will Howard completed less than 50% of his passes, less than five yards a pass, three picks. Um, he ran for 104 yards and a touchdown, but without him, um, I mean, the ground game did have 110 yards, but it was just uh, not, it was gross. It was ugly. It was real bad. Real, real bad. Um Oklahoma State able to force the turnovers, um, able to get a few couple sacks in there, a couple tackles for loss. Kansas State defense didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, Alan Bowman, who was new starting the position, I believe, 235 yards. Not a lot of great offense at all, but Oklahoma State able to grab a big win there. They are, what I say, 3-2. and two. Both teams are 3-2. and two. Kind of shocking at this point. Nebraska also took down Illinois 20 to 7 on Friday night. Nebraska was able to put a 14 play drive together to score a touchdown um, to go up 10 to nothing. Then they surprised with an onside kick and uh, was able to, to score again. 10 seconds, two touchdowns, 17 nothing. That was in the uh, halfway through the second quarter, and six points were scored in total in the game after that. Pretty uh, riveting stuff there. That was uh, so that was again on Friday night. Mississippi State ultimately beats Western Michigan forty-one to twenty-eight. Just worth noting there because the Broncos did kind of hang with uh, the Bulldogs for a bit there. Not what you want to see if you're Mississippi State, but I think we'll continue to see changes there. Hayden Woldoff twenty-seven for thirty-five, three touchdowns for um, Western Michigan. And Will Rogers, again, uh, more runs than passes for the Bulldogs, which is just not what you expect. But Will Rogers puts up three touchdowns, only 189 yards. He's probably wishing that he transferred a long time ago. But Wisconsin beats Rutgers 24 to 13. Four and one is Wisconsin on the year. Four and two is Rutgers right now. Mordecai, 145 yards and a touchdown on 17 for 31 passing. Not very impressive. Over 200 yards on the ground for the ground game of Wisconsin. Defense wasn't doing a whole lot, but did enough to prevent Rutgers from being able to move the football, shut down the ground game, which is something, and uh, and just a whole lot of blah in this one. Unfortunately, you'd expect to see more from Wisconsin uh, offensively, and possibly Rutgers doing something. At least they're 4-2. I guess that's a step in the uh, right direction. Marshall also hung with NC State. 48-41 to was the final there. The Wolfpack was back to MJ Morris, the backup quarterback. Again, four touchdowns, three picks. 
not an awesome day throwing altogether. Defense had six sacks, eight tackles for losses, but still allowed the thundering herd um, to put up some yardage. Uh, did a decent job holding them to five to 18 on third down. 6.8 yards a pass, 2.7 per rush, but still 41 yards altogether off those turnovers. Three for 12 on third down with the Wolf Pack. Just what the hell? Just can't get a quarterback in there. And um, I, I, I don't know. Just find ways to beat yourself, uh, NC State. Why don't you? To not be this close, even though Marshall is a solid football team there. Northwestern, 23-20 to 20 over Howard. Tries their best to lose there. Just can't quite do it, though. Iowa, 20-14 to 14 over Purdue. They are now 5-1 and one with their backup quarterback, Deacon Hill, which is an awesome name. And he went a whopping 6-for-21 for 110 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, and a fumble. Didn't lose it, but he had a fumble. Six sacks, 12 tackles for loss, and Iowa was able to win the ball game. Kansas did move to 5-1 and one while punching out UCF. They dropped to 3-3 three and three in 0-3 in conference play. Juggling quarterbacks through the injuries that they've had there. Um, but Jason Bean also in for Kansas, to be fair. Jane Daly is out again. Bean only had to go 8-12 for 12 for 91 yards and a pick. Almost 500 yards on the, excuse me, almost 400 yards, 399 yards and five touchdowns on over 50 carries. That's where the fives come in for Kansas. Um, everybody got involved pretty much. Dylan McDuffie, uh, Daniel uh, Hishon Jr., Devin Neal, the stud that we know, two guys over 130 yards. And uh, they just ran over UCF which is having problems in that particular area. Quarterback problems as well. Four sacks, six tackles for losses, and Kansas State looks like the Maryland of the Big 12. They might be the best of the middle, be all the middle and bad teams, but not be able to hang with the top player, which right now is really only looking like Oklahoma and Texas. So you kind of think Kansas might roll up some wins here. Now they play at Oklahoma State next week. We'll see. Mike Gundy on deck. Then they play Oklahoma. Then they play at Iowa State. And they play home against Texas Tech, home against Kansas State at Cincinnati. Are some of those teams going to make up the middle layer? Kansas State, Texas Tech, maybe Iowa State, maybe Oklahoma State. Is Kansas going to beat some of those teams? We'll see. I think they can. I think they're a very good ball club. Oh, Colorado, 27-24. to Who could forget that? Needing a late field goal, a couple of big throws by Sanders to set up a game-winning field goal. Coming out of a bye was Arizona State. They move to one and five. Buffaloes are four and two. Sanders has one touchdown, 5.7 yards per passing attempt, 239 yards, 26 for 42. Still can't run the football. 335 yards by Trenton Borgett for Arizona State as they've been, uh, they've got everybody hurt over there. But my goodness, um, what a, the only difference here really was should your Sanders. Uh, at some of the talent they have at the receiver positions for Colorado. Otherwise, these teams really aren't that different. Iowa State moves to 3-3 three and three and pushes TCU to 3-3. Three 27-14 three. to 14 was the difference there. I didn't get a lot of opportunity to watch this game, even though I had it on. But TCU is not good. Multiple quarterbacks in this one. Can't move the football. Um, Imani Bailey, 21 carries for 152. is good at running the ball, but they can't. 
pass. The defense isn't very good. And uh, Rocco back to the quarterback for Iowa State. Didn't put up great numbers, but they pulled four turnovers off of the TCU Horn Frogs. And despite the fact that they only converted 33% of third downs, while TCU converted 50%, you obviously can't do that on the road. So big win for them there. Boise State, 35-27. to They're 2-0 in Mountain West play. They survive a San Jose State that falls 2-1-5. So Boise State, slowly moving on up, I guess. Still not looking like a great team. Fresno State and Hawaii look like the two. And Air Force is in the Mountain West. I guess we got a few more contenders than we thought in there. But perhaps Boise State can stay in the mix. Still interesting there in the Mountain West. Uh, Utah State, 44-24. to over Colorado State as well. The other one, Texas Tech moves to 3 and 3. They thump Baylor 39 to 14. Baylor another team. It's got some head coaching uh, questions to to call into play here. Blake Shapen, second game back from his injury I believe, 22 for 38, 324 and a pick for the Baylor Bears. Can't do anything on the ground really. Defense doesn't look very good and Texas Tech with a Brehen Morton 19 for 26, 180, three touchdowns and a pick. Defense looks good, six sacks and 11 tackles for losses. Not a lot of penalties in this one. And uh, 10 for 18 is Texas Tech converting on third down. Well, four for 15 for Baylor. Now, as we recall, Texas Tech here, their schedule they lost to that good Wyoming team by a couple on the road, they lost by eight at home to Oregon, and they lost at West Virginia by seven. Three teams that actually look real good right now. Oregon we knew. West Virginia looks pretty competent. And uh, Wyoming looks pretty good too. Perhaps the expectations as Texas Tech being maybe a top four Big 12 team were a little high, but this could still be a very good ball club. They beat Tarlington State, Houston, and Baylor, which is not much to shake a stick at. But they'll have other opportunities here. Kansas State at home at BYU, home against TCU are the next three on deck. Again, not sure what to make of Kansas State at the moment, but I think those are all winnable games. Um, the last three, though, at Kansas, home against Central Florida. Still think that team can figure some things out. Maybe not. And uh, at Texas. So at Kansas, at Texas, two of the last three there. Uh, this game could still, or this team can still win some games, right? Even with uh, Tyler Shaw out at quarterback, but he's missed most games the past three years. So, I don't know. Can't quite give up on the Red Raiders yet, but some there were some high expectations put on them in the preseason. So, talking about our new top 25, and again, there's not a ton of movement at the top with a lot of teams ultimately doing, air quotes, what they're supposed to do. Georgia's one, Michigan's two, Ohio State's three, Florida State's four, Oklahoma's five. So they shot up while Texas shooting down. Now Penn State's six, Washington's seven, Oregon's eight, Texas's nine dropping spots, and USC is 10 to round out the top 10. A um, couple of those teams moved a spot or two due to the, the movement, but really it was more or less Oklahoma shooting up. Texas shooting down. USC also dropped a spot, but not a, other than the, the flip-flop due to the Red River rivalry, not too much movement there. Alabama stayed the same at 11. 
North Carolina is 12. Old Miss is 13. Louisville shot up. They're 14. Oregon State's 15. They stayed the same. Utah is 16. Duke is 17. I'm going to stop there at the moment. Again, a couple teams moving up a couple spots. Oregon State stayed the same, but due to um, Notre Dame falling out or falling down, and Washington State losing and falling down, uh, there was some movement to move up, but not a lot of teams moving because of other reasons. So uh, at the top half again, flip-flopping to Texas, Oklahoma, and then Louisville jumping up big. And um, yeah, jumping into the rating at number 18 then is UCLA because of the win over Washington State, who falls just below them at 19. They fell six spots. Then we have Tennessee at 20. Moving up a few slots, Notre Dame, who fell down, they're at 21. LSU's at 22. Kansas is in at 23. And then a couple more droppers, Kentucky at 25 and Miami, uh, excuse me, Kentucky at 24 and Miami at 25. So we have our droppers, Texas, who's down to nine. Washington State, who's down to 19. Notre Dame is down to 21. Kentucky is down to 24. Miami is down to 25. Uh, all taking losses, and that created a bit of movement uh, for the rest of the teams. Louisville moving up to 14, uh, Oklahoma State moving up to 5. Those are the big movers. Everyone else moved one spot, two spot, three spot, or not at all. And then UCLA at 18 jumping in, Kansas at 23 jumping in. The two that fell out were Missouri, who was ranked 21st, and Fresno State, who was ranked 24th. Now, they are, let's see here. So Fresno State, I don't even see receiving votes this week, which is actually strange. I don't think they're that bad. But Missouri is technically then 26th by votes received, followed by Wyoming. Air Force, who was on by this week, I believe. Wisconsin and Tulane. So that would technically be your top 30 this week. Followed by West Virginia, Clemson, Maryland, Iowa, James Madison and Texas A&M. Those are the other teams receiving votes. Now, uh, James Madison still doing a, a steady job there. They were off this week. Maryland, even at a loss, received a few votes was still good. Iowa, man, seven votes for them. Clemson still hanging in, but far from the top 25, as they probably should be. They could have lost to Wake Forest this week. Um, that was not a, a great showing for them. Wake Forest had an opportunity to win that game. Not not super exciting there, but uh, Clemson able to hold on. I don't even think I went over or through that game. Or Clemson was able to hold on against that one. Otherwise, it would have had three losses halfway through the season. And um, Wyoming, Air Force, Tulane, um, not too far from making it into the top 25. Get myself all situated here. Okay. According to my carefully curated notes that often I forget to spell check, so West Virginia looks like West Virginia, we have games starting on Tuesday, continuing our 50-day streak of football every single evening. So Tuesday, not too, well, sorry, Tuesday is the exciting day. We have Louisiana Tech heading on the road to Middle Tennessee. The Blue Raiders are struggling just a bit this season. They're sitting at 1-5, and five, so they'll be hosting Louisiana Tech at 3-4. and four. However, 
they are favored at home here um, against the Bully Dogs, who fell to Western Kentucky last week. That is a Conference USA game. That's at uh, 7 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. 7.30, we have two good games. One of them is on ESPN2. That's Appalachian State hosting Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina's defense is absolutely atrocious, and, Coast, and uh, oh boy, Grayson McCall is struggling a bit this season as well. They're 0-2 on the Sun Belts Conference, 2-3 overall. Appalachian State's favored by six points at home. They're currently sitting at 3-2 and 1-0 and and in the conference right now, and they are not, not an awful team. Lost by three points at Wyoming. And six points at North Carolina. They did struggle to win at Louisiana Monroe last week, though. But to keep an eye on an interesting game there. However, the big one. Jacksonville State is sitting at 5-1. and one, And they're hosting Liberty. The Flames, who's sitting at 5-0. and oh, Both of these teams 3-0 and oh, in Conference USA. Two, the, probably the two best teams in Conference USA. Both playing out of the East Divisions. This is a big divisional battle at the non-Power 5 scale. Liberty is favored on the road with a 56.5 point over-under. These are two top 12 rushing offenses as well. So this could be an interesting uh, firefight here on Tuesday evening. Liberty and Jacksonville State, the highlight on that slate. Wednesday is not quite as appetizing. Florida International now 3-3 three and three overall, winless in conference plays, Conference USA, hosting a 1-5 UTEP team that had greater expectations entering the season, but they're not doing so hot. That's on ESPN2. 9 o'clock, we'll have New Mexico State at 3-3, three and three hosting Sam Houston State at 0-5 on the CBS Sports Network. Sam Houston State, man, uh, nearly beat Liberty last week. Goal line stand by the Flames prevented them from scoring. They fell by five points on the road there. They lost to Jacksonville State by seven. They lost uh, to Air Force by 10, BYU by 14. I think I've said this almost every week when they nearly lose, uh, nearly beat a good team. But still, they're winless at the FBS level. Thursday, we pick up just a touch. We have two games, a 7 o'clock FS1 Houston is 2 and 3. They're hosting a surprising West Virginia team who's 4 and 1, 2 and 0 in the Big 12 coming off a bye. They're favored almost by a field goal on the road, some points expected here. West Virginia, not a particularly impressive team overall. I believe they've been playing with a backup quarterback for part of the season. They lost their opener at Penn State to be expected, then beat Duquesne Pitt. Pulled a, a big win over Texas Tech at the time by a touchdown and then proceeded to win at TCU by a field goal. None of these wins look super impressive right now, particularly with TCU melting down several times already this season and uh, Texas Tech struggling to get back to 500. They're not quite there yet. But uh, West Virginia, a shocking team, uh, not projected to make a bowl game, not projected to keep their coach around coming into the season, but record wise, one of the best teams in the Big 12 right now. Offense isn't anything special. It's downright bad. Um, but they do go for it on fourth down, which keeps things interesting. They're 9 for 18 on the season on fourth down, which is 9 for 18 in five games. So they're not afraid to take shots in that aspect. They're only completing or only converting 32% on third down, averaging 26 points per game. 
Their quarterback is completing far less than 60% of his passes, but is the second leading rusher on the team, uh, Garrett Green. Um, but they're able to do enough to win, and the defense is feisty. So West Virginia heading on the road to try and move to 5-1. and one. They simply have to avoid an upset at this point by beating Houston, who has wins over Sam Houston State, who we just talked about a minute ago, UTSA in its opener by field goal, and losses to TCU, Texas Tech, and Rice on the road. But uh, West Virginia, big game there on Thursday night. The other one, ESPN, 730, 1-4 East Carolina having a tough season after back-to-back bowl years the past two seasons. Uh, that was the first time in a decade they'd done that, but they're looking uh, not so hot now. SMU will be heading there. They are 3-2 and two and uh, looking to move to 4-2 and 2-0 and two and oh in American Conference play. They're favored by almost double digits. Still a prolific passing attack there for the Mustangs. They have wins over uh, Prairie View, Charlotte, and Louisiana Tech, which aren't impressive. They hung with Oklahoma for a while there. Um, they did lose to TCU, which looked real, real bad, obviously, looking back now. But they're still averaging a good chunk of points per game, 32, which is decent. And they're putting up over 430 yards per game. So at least a decent squad out of the American Conference there. Moving on into Friday. We've had some interesting Fridays, thankfully. And this one's got some interesting squads on the ballot, starting out with a real American uh, fist fight. 7 o'clock on ESPN, we'll have Memphis and Tulane going at it. Memphis is the host at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. The Tigers are 4-1, Tulane's 4-1. They're both 1-0 in the American Conference. Tulane was the favorite coming in. UTSA was thought to uh, have a chance to win the conference as well. Frank Harris, I think, came back last week. was his first time um, after several games out, and they've just had all kinds of problems there. The Roadrunners have. Perhaps they're getting back on track now. But Memphis has had a good start to the season. Uh, decent passing offense, one of the better passing defenses in the country as well. And Tulane's really good on both sides of the ball. If Michael Pratt wasn't hurt, perhaps they beat Old Miss earlier in the year. And this is a team that's ranked and more on the eye nationally, but they have a chance to get there if they get a win on Friday night. They're three and a half point favorites again to lay in the green wave. They were good last season. They beat USC at the end of the year. They lost a couple pieces. They're getting back there and uh, just a good football team. Memphis is, I don't think is quite on that level, but this is a really good game on Friday night. Utah State will be hosting Fresno State. They'll kick off an hour later, scheduled for 8 o'clock Eastern time on the CBS Sports Network. We saw Fresno State fall to Wyoming. Um, Of course, the Cowboys always have a good squad there. And uh, Fresno, favored to win the Mountain West after looking good the first couple weeks, knocking off a few of the low-level Power 5 teams pretty comfortably. But they will have to play the top-passing offense in the Mountain West and they will bring their top 20 nationally ranked defense on uh, the road with them. They're favored by almost a touchdown. 60 points is about the over-under right now. We could see quite a few of them in this game as the Bulldogs try to get back in the mix for the Mountain West. Both teams are 1-1 right now. 10 o'clock now. Last week, you didn't hear a whole lot about Deion Sanders. The game was stolen away on the Pac-12 network. This week, you get him at 10 o'clock on Friday. 
They're favored by 12 points against a god-awful Stanford team. These two teams are bottom, I think, 12 defenses in the, uh, no, Stanford is, they're bottom 11 defenses technically, nationally. So um, Stanford's coming off a bye. Maybe they'll be a little better than the 1-4 and four team that they've shown so far this season. But Colorado will again have a chance to grab a win here and move to 5-2. and two. We'll see what Stanford can do against the uh, the back end of Colorado as well. Not sure what to make of this one. Surprised a little bit that Arizona State hung around against Colorado last week. However, the uh, defense of Arizona State was able to get some pressure on Caleb Williams in the USC game the week prior. So maybe there's something to that, but they were so, so banged up. Stanford has had some injuries of their own. And uh, again, the quality of play just hasn't been there. But we'll see. Colorado's got to put some points on the board. Stop somebody. Stanford. Um, Stanford's the measuring stick in the Big 12 right now. You got to beat them by like 30. And a line of 12 at home is not uh, not very inspiring. So let's move into Saturday, October 14th, your noon slate. And it's okay if you're a little sluggish getting up on Saturday because you stayed up to watch Colorado. Or if you're slow to get to the noon games at all because you're picking pumpkins or hanging spiders or whatever the hell you're doing. Baking pumpkin cookies. I don't know. But the noon slate is a little light yet again. Ten games. Five ranked teams playing. No top 25 teams will be playing each other. Your top watch is number 11 Alabama hosting Arkansas. This is on ESPN. We know the Razorbacks are 2-4 and four and 0-3 oh and in SEC play, struggling mightily, and that describes Alabama's offense that finally started clicking last week. Now, the line on this is nearly 20 points, but that's a common occurrence in a lot of these games. Not a lot of stuff going on in the, uh, in the new slate. So if this is a skipper for you, that's fine. I'll be, uh, I'll be keeping an eye on most of these regardless as I do. But Alabama hosting Arkansas just to see if Alabama's able to finally put a team away with a good offensive, you know, cohesive offensive game plan and whether Arkansas a rival can kind of put the pieces together or hang on and not fall at two and five because that could spell the end of Sam Pittman there at Arkansas, which would be unfortunate. Some of his interviews, I think, shows that he's a really good guy and can really relate to players and some of their mental health health issues and things that go on today, the things that NIL bring about. So that would be too bad. But it's going to be a rough afternoon, noon, for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Your channel flippers then. I've got number four, Florida State, at 5-0, of course, hosting Syracuse, who is 4-2. And, and we've seen this before. Syracuse, the orange men, rolling uphill and then rolling back down. 17 plus point line at the moment right now. Florida State, though, still don't have a lot of super strong confidence that they can. Um, I, I just they're missing gear sometimes when playing teams. I just don't think it's a national championship team. I don't know how else to put it. I would argue North Carolina actually looks a little bit better right now, and I still don't know if they beat um, Clemson necessarily in a rematch. It's still like a coin flip game. So, Syracuse. Uh, We'll see. They still have some injuries. They got bludgeoned last week by North Carolina, but um, this is one worth flipping over just to see 
if Florida State is able to hit the gas and do the same to the Qs, with still a good, uh, well-coached team there. I only put one other team, one other pairing in the channel flip category, and it's actually the ESPN2 game. These teams made ESPN2, and that is the Sun Belt battle between James Madison hosting Georgia Southern and Harrisburg, Virginia. James Madison, of course, bumping up from the FCS level to the FBS level, highest level here of college football. Just last season had a lot of success, not eligible for a bowl game. I honestly don't know if they still are this season. However, they're a win away. They're playing Georgia Southern, good football team, a team that was good enough to beat Nebraska last year, which is still saying something considering Nebraska had power five type talent on its roster. But Georgia Southern is ninth in offense this season. They have a a solid quarterback there in Davis Brin, completing 70% of his passes. The James Madison kid isn't too bad either. So a couple decent quarterbacks, the non-Power 5 level there. Jordan McLeod has 11 touchdowns and three picks on the season. Can run the ball just a little bit as well. So a couple of good quarterbacks there. Um, But Georgia Southern has been run really well by Clay Helton, the former USC Trojan coach, been a couple other spots as well. Um, So usually when you get one of those former Power 5 coaches at a lower level squad, he's able to get some things going. And then James Madison's coach, Kurt Kignetti, who spent some time as an assistant at Alabama years back and was head coach at Elon as well. Um, has a great 113-34 and 34 record overall as a head coach and is doing quite well with James Madison as well. So it should be a well-coached, good football game between guys that know what they're doing, even if it's not Power 5 football. And again, lots of good teams actually at the Sun Belt level, and it's been that year for a few years now. Even as a conference that they've accepted a number of FCS-level teams coming up, some of the lower-level teams like Conference USA has absorbed as well. They still had some good talent and good coaching there. You know, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, um, Marshall's moved over there now, and uh, James Madison, and just some really good play there in the Sun Belt. So the rest of the uh, teams here that are in the notable category, you do have your Georgia Bulldogs at Vanderbilt. The Commodores are currently 2-5. and five. That'll be the CBS game as you get to watch Georgia beat the hell out of them by 30 points. If that's your cup of tea, you get to see Michigan, who's ranked number two, host Indiana on Fox. The Hoosiers are two and three. The defense is not bad because of the way Michigan's been bludgeoning teams the past few weeks. This line's all the way up to 34. So if Michigan can do that to Indiana, I think that actually shows something like they can do it to an Ohio State or a Penn State. Indiana's a decent defense. I don't think it's it's a step above what they have been playing. Oh, probably still a step below, obviously, Ohio State and some of that talent um, with the recruits that they have there, but it's still a step up. You know, Nebraska was supposed to be that, but they they just beat their face in. And um, Minnesota is not as good as they've been in past years on the defensive side of the ball. So Indiana will be interesting. It might take a quarter or so for Michigan to get going against that team like it was in a few games earlier in the season. Purdue will be hosting Ohio State. Purdue's two and four. Um, Ohio State's, of course, number three. This is the Peacock game. This has dropped below 20-point spread 
Um, I just, again, don't have a lot of faith in Ohio State's quarterback there. I don't know if Travion Henderson's coming in. The defense is good, and the offense seems to be a step behind. Of course, wide, great wide receiver talent seems to be what's um, holding things together for Ohio State right now. And there is Cincinnati at 2-3, and three, hosting Iowa State at 3-3 three and three on FS1. Cincinnati's favorite at home in this, but Iowa State... They've beat Oklahoma State, who looks like they have a little life in them. They beat TCU last week. They beat Northern Iowa, which isn't anything special. They did lose to Ohio on the road. They lost to Oklahoma pretty handily. They lost to Iowa. I don't know if Iowa State actually has something or not, but I don't think Cincinnati does. They have two wins, only two wins, and they came over Eastern Kentucky and Pitt on the road. They themselves lost to a MAC team in Miami of Ohio. They hung with Oklahoma for a while. They weren't thumped by them, and they lost last week on the road at BYU, so I can see why they're supposed to be a little bit better and at home. I don't think either of these teams are fantastic, but that game is on. Cincinnati favored by a little bit at home. And this one slipped my notes here. Goodness gracious. But Rutgers at 4-2 and two will be hosting Michigan State at 2-3 and three on the Big 12 Network. Rutgers is favored by 5.5 with a 40.5 point over-under. So low scoring, and Rutgers is still favored by a solid margin. Solid margin. Not just a home field field goal number there. So don't know about that. Uh, Michigan State, no faith. No faith in there at all because Rutgers' offense is not very good. But their defense, uh, looking looking like they're ex- it's expected to cause Michigan State some problems. The afternoon slate has 18 games, six ranked teams, one top 25 matchup, and it's the big one. It's the top watch of the entire day. It is the Washington Huskies and the Oregon Ducks on ABC at 330. 5-0, both teams are number seven and number eight. Michael Penix has almost 2,000 yards passing. He's at 1999, 16 touchdowns. And two picks on the season. Bo Nix has been a force for the Oregon Ducks. He's done a lot of damage as well through the air. 80% completion percentage. 15 touchdowns and one pick. And he's also Scooby-Dooed and ran for a touchdown as well. He uh, might do a little bit more ground running as it's needed as well moving forward. He certainly did last season. But these are probably the best two teams in the Pac-12. And this could have big repercussions moving forward. I'm just thinking the loser of this game, both of these teams could lose a game outside of this one. So the loser of this game would presumably have two losses somewhere down the line and is not guaranteed a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. So it's a big deal to win this one. So USC is 6-0 right now. Oregon, Washington, 5-0. Oregon State's next up at 5-1 and 2-1 in conference play followed by Utah and UCLA and Washington State all at 4-1 and 1-1 and in conference play. All have their issues, though. UCLA struggling right now on offense with Dante Moore. Utah struggling on offense, just dead stop. Cam Rising will be back this week, maybe, finally. Washington State and Oregon State presumably don't have the uh, firepower to keep up with Washington or Oregon and USC. Seems to have some real, real big 
defensive problems and are just not going to be able to compete at a high level. Of course, all those teams could have a say in who actually goes to the Pac-12 Conference Championship game to compete for the title. Now, Washington is first in passing yards at 446 a game, third in scoring at 46 points a game. They're 27th in points allowed, only giving 18 points up per game. Their rushing offense is 104th in the country, so they don't run it as well. Um, Oregon is 10th passing offense, first in scoring, 8th in rushing, 5th in um, points allowed. Just a, a team that's measured up in better statistics right now. Their schedule, of course, though, a little bit easier. They won at Texas Tech. Of course, they played Colorado and crushed them. Portland State, Hawaii, and Stanford were the other bodies. Washington played Michigan State, who they thumped. A Cal team that seems to be decent. An Arizona team that's pretty good, quite frankly. Boise State as well, and then Tulsa. So Washington's really played a more difficult schedule, quite frankly, at this point, regardless of how you feel about a couple of those squads in there. Washington has a little bit worse pass defense, although some of that could be equated to um, part of the complete teams that they've played overall. Um, of course, Oregon did get to play Sadir Sanders, one of the better passing quarterbacks in the country. But of course, some of the other passers they played in there weren't so good. They do have a top five um, defense, but um, Washington seems to be more susceptible, um, possibly on the back end. And Oregon has a much better sack rate as well, um, pressure rate. And Washington is one of the worst in the country, so that could very well be the defense with Oregon going on the road here. But it'll be just phenomenal to see whether Washington's offense can really come through, not that Oregon's is any slouch, or whether uh, Oregon's a complete team, how much Washington's improved. Again, both of these teams, um, two at the top of the class last year. Washington got left out of the Pac-12 championship game due to tiebreakers. Oregon fell a little short. Um, Bo Nix was a little banged up towards the back end of the year. But defense was lacking on a lot of these Pac-12 teams this year. And these seem to be two of the more improved teams with great quarterbacks. And this is going to be a great, just a phenomenal game. Could be one of the best games of the year. One of the most important games of the year if the Pac-12 does get a team into the playoff. And this one is at 3.30 again on ABC, the top watch of the day. Now, there's several decent channel flipping options. I'm going to start with the 3 o'clock Pac-12. Utah's back off the bye. They're ranked 16th. They're hosting California. They're almost two touchdown favorites. I think Cam Rising's going to be back. We know the defense is one of the best in the country. They force turnovers. They can score off turnovers. They get after the quarterback. They're just a, a really good football team on the defensive side of the football. The offense has been horrific. Both quarterbacks were banged up. Both backup quarterbacks, the number three, number four quarterback, I should say, were kind of banged up coming off the Oregon State game two weeks ago. So it really depends on what the offense can do or if the defense can hold Cal to like 13 points and the uh, offense can score more than that sometimes. Cal, on the other hand, put up 40 in a loss to Oregon State. They put up 32 in a loss to Washington. They also beat um, Idaho close, who's not very good. Arizona State close, who's not very good. Lost to um, Auburn close. They put up 58 on North Texas. 
kind of an up and down team here, but capable of explosive plays, certainly. Um, quarterback play isn't particularly awesome. They do a good job on the ground in general. They have several backs that can that can scamper along there. And the defense has been blown up several times over. But it seems like uh, the Golden Bears have an opportunity to score every time they go out, which is better than they have in, in previous seasons. They're averaging 216 passing yards per game and 217 rushing yards per game. Pretty dead even there. So pretty balanced uh, offensive attack. We'll see if they can do anything at Utah. Texas A&M will be licking their wounds and heading to Tennessee, Knoxville to play the Vols, who are ranked 19th. This is on CBS at 3.30. Tennessee favored by just over a field goal right now in a 56-point game, a lot of points. Tennessee's defense has been pretty good this year. Again, running the ball, keeping it out of Joe Milton's hands. Don't trust him to do a whole lot. They uh, scrapped South Carolina last time out, 41-20, to put up 41 on UTSA. They did lose to Florida. They struggled by Austin Pay in their set week two matchup, and they did put points on Virginia. But this is a team that'll be looking to put more pressure on Max Johnson after he received quite a bit last week from Alabama and uh, really just trying to disrupt Texas A&M and what they're doing on offense there. They will also have to face a great defensive front in Texas A&M themselves. Will Joe Milton be able to survive that? Will they take loss number two, the Vols, and kind of fall out of that East race? That remains to be seen. Again, pretty good SEC football, I think. A lot of teams kind of kind of struggling, but that doesn't mean that a lot of points in an LSU game or kind of figuring out the chess match here in Texas A&M and Tennessee won't be a, a solid game here. I also have the FS1 330 game, Oklahoma State, who's now 3-2 and two, hosting Kansas, who's 5-1 and one, and ranked 23rd now. Kansas is favored by 3.5 on the road with a massive 57.5. Uh, 57 point over under. I don't know if Daniels will be back under center for the Jayhawks or not. Jason Bean hasn't looked good for the past two weeks and uh, they had to run for over four, almost 400 yards and a blowout win over central Florida. I don't think that'll be uh, the same thing that Oklahoma state will be allowing. They didn't allow that against Kansas state last week. So this could be a interesting game. Will Oklahoma state pull another upset here. Um, with no Jane Daniels on the scene. That's entirely possible. Um, so it'll be interesting to see here if Jane Daniels is in creating uh, a good contest or not. Other notable games in the afternoon slate. The Nittany Lions are back off their bye, and they're playing a powerhouse in Massachusetts. That's the 330 Big Ten Network game. That's a 40-plus point over-under on that one. So... Maryland will be hosting Illinois. Maryland's now 5-1. The Illini are 2-4 and, and really struggling. 14-point favorites are the Maryland Terrapins. 3-30 on NBC as they try to move to 6-1. South Carolina is 2-3. They're hosting the Florida Gators, who are 4-2 on the SEC Network at 3-30. Is Spencer Rattler going to go off, or are we going to have Florida running its way to victory, putting some pressure on him there. Could be an interesting game. South Carolina's favored by two points, which is just a super weird home line there. Over 50 points on the over-under as well. 
Also, TCU back in the saddle. They're three and three. They're at home, but they get this sludgy BYU team who's four and one. That's three thirty on ESPN. Some confidence in TCU. Five point favorites at home. It actually seems a little questionable with the way BYU has been able to kind of steady the ship a little bit there. Again, beating Cincinnati last week. They did beat Arkansas on the road. That looks like something now. Um, the only loss was to Kansas on the road. So maybe there is something to what BYU is able to do. Minimize turnovers, limit penalties, and just kind of trudge along, forcing the other team to um, eventually make mistakes. They were outgained by almost 200 yards last week. Uh, Wisconsin hosting Iowa for what could be the Big Ten East Division, I believe it is. Um, Wisconsin's 4-1. and one. Iowa's 5-1. and one. Wisconsin's 10-point favorites at home. Of course, a backup quarterback in for Iowa. Um, and this guy will probably get more starts than Cade McNamara does because he's out for the season. Iowa's still garbage. Um, I, 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 offense is still garbage, I should say. 20-14 to 14 over Purdue last week. 26-16 to 16 against Michigan State. They were shut out against Penn State. Um, just not not great. Against Power 5 opponents right now, they're averaging about 22 points a game. Not not uh, real spectacular there. Wisconsin's got to get something out of quarterback Tanner Motokai, uh, or certainly get something more out of the run game. Uh, they're just looking really sluggish out of some of the potential talent they have there on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense hasn't really been as dominant as it has in years past. Just seems like they have another gear to hit there in Madison. That's the four o'clock though on Fox. Your evening slate is pretty packed as well. 15 games, 11 ranked squads, three top 25 matchups. Your top watches, and I slipped two into this category. I've been trying to make it just one big game, but it's two in here. Notre Dame's got a big one again. They're hosting USC, a big traditional rivalry at 7.30 on NBC. Two and a half point favorites is Notre, are, are Notre Dame the Fighting Irish? 60 points expected in the ball game. We know that USC's got defensive problems. We know that Notre Dame has got some offensive stuttering problems. So what in the hell is going to happen to this game? I don't know. But USC has to be careful or they could catch their first body here. It certainly looks like it. Notre Dame, Sam Hartman had a tough game last week. Again, can they get it up for the fourth week in a row? That's going to be one of the talking points this particular week. After Clemson, Duke, Louisville, now it's the USC Trojans, who themselves have had to fend off Arizona State, and um, last week it was uh, Arizona. There we go. Already slipped my mind. So it's been a, a lot for these two teams, but Notre Dame's 5-2 and two officially out of the playoff picture at this point, and USC's hanging in undefeated, both question marks. I tend to favor the home team Notre Dame here. I think USC could still lose like four games in the back half of the schedule. Let's lay it out real quickly here. They have left road games at Notre Dame, home game against Utah, 
at California, home against Washington, at Oregon, home against UCLA. With those six games left, if I set the over-under for losses at two and a half, would you say it would be over or under? Again, home games against Utah, Washington, UCLA. We don't know if Cam Rising is going to be back for Utah in a couple weeks or not. But Utah, Washington, and UCLA to end the year. Maybe Dante Moore will pick up a little bit more in the next couple months. And road games at Notre Dame, a Cal that can put up some points, and Oregon. How many games will USC potentially lose? And Notre Dame fighting again this week before heading into arguably an easier stretch here with Pitt, a road game at Clemson, Wake Forest, and at Stanford. Of course, Clemson being the one that sticks out there to finish up the year. Can they get it up one more time for USC? The other top game I have on the docket here is also at 7.30. It's on ABC. It's number 12, North Carolina hosting number 25, Miami. Uh, We're going to pretend Miami is undefeated for the sake of conversation because they won against Georgia Tech until they did something stupid, right? UNC's favored by three and a half with a 55 and a half point over under lots of points expected in this one. Again, Van coming out of a bye, Tyler Van Dyke looked terrible. The offense looked horrible. It's possible that Georgia Tech, and I, I dare give them credit here, um, it, it, it's possible the defense is a little bit better and is making strides, like big strides from covering, you know, 20-point lines to actually being in ball games. Um Seem to be a little disruptive up front, maybe, at least in that aspect, because it certainly seemed to cause problems for Van Dyke there. But um, Miami's got to figure something out, or North Carolina is going to absolutely tear them to pieces and easily cover this line. But uh, it's really hard to just think that Miami, after slicing and dicing Texas A&M themselves earlier in the year, has fallen this far down uh, the chute. Uh, it's possible that they have a little bit of a hangover from how last week ended. I don't know how you can have a lot of confidence in your coaching staff, but this could be a big one in the uh, ACC, North Carolina and Miami. Now, your channel flippers. I have a whole stack of them here. All the games in the night's window are pretty good. Pac-12 Network is going to take number 19, Washington State, hosting Arizona. Arizona still starting the uh, true freshman there, probably. I don't know Jaden Delore's status, but I don't know if he's going to be able to upend the quarterback there. Mr. Fifta, the young freshman, completing 73% of his passes, eight touchdowns, two picks, who's been in his absence, the great receiving core there. Arizona on the road at Washington State. Could see a lot of points in that one. 60-plus over-under, Washington State's favorite by eight. Could be just a, a good ball game. Lots of points um, there. ESPN at 7 o'clock will have number 22 LSU hosting Auburn. Again, Auburn's offense has been atrocious and LSU's defense is really bad. So what happens when you mix those two together? I don't really know. LSU's favored by 11 against 60 plus points in the over-under. In the 7 o'clock FS1 slots, they will have Big 12 action. 
Texas Tech will be favored at home by a point over Kansas State, a three and three and three and two ball club there. Um, two teams just trying to slowly make their way. Kansas State taking a little bit of a shocker on the road, uh, loss on the road at Stillwater last week. Still trying to prove they're the top of the class in the Big 12, and Texas Tech still trying to climb that way. A good defense. I think Kansas State's offense is a little bit better than their defense, and I think Texas Tech's defense is a little bit better than their offense. So could be a really good one there as well. We have a couple non-Power 5 matchups at 7 as well. 4-1 Georgia State hosting 4-1 Marshall out of the Sun Belt. Georgia State favored in a coin flip at home on ESPN2. Just a couple really good um, Sun Belt squads going at it. And then Air Force at 5-0 will be hosting Wyoming at 5-1 on the CBS Sports Network. Now, Air Force is 3-0 in conference play. Wyoming is 2-0. And we could just see a whole lot of run on the football in this one. Air Force, 11-point favorites. This is a 42-point over-under. We got the high 50s in Marshall, Georgia State. But a couple more really good non-Power 5 games in that lineup there. Kentucky and Missouri looking to bounce back. Mizzou's on the road, though, 5-1 at 5-1 Kentucky. Wildcats are still ranked 24th, but the SEC Network will have this one at 730. 2.5 points. The Wildcats way, not the Tigers way, but the Wildcats way as they try to bounce back. We could see points in this one too. Over-unders at 53, but I tend to lean. I think that'd be an over-lean. We might see some points in that one. Oregon State and UCLA, one of the top 25 battles. Oregon State's 5-1 and and ranked 15th. UCLA's 4-1 and ranked 18th. This is the 8 o'clock Fox game. Oregon State, four-point favorites at home, 54-point over-under. Oregon State's defense struggled last week. Not a particularly great defense this season, but not bad. That seemed to make some stops. Um, The offense with DJ Ungalele, I think, seems to be up and down. I think this is going to be a middle-class team. UCLA's defense is actually very good. If the offense was more consistent with Dante Moore, then I think it would be up there with Oregon and Washington as one of the best teams. Um, I still think Washington's probably the best team in the Pac-12. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon won the game on Saturday. Uh, But the winner of this game will continue to push towards the top of the Big 12, while the loser will move towards kind of that middle section. We also have Duke, who's ranked 17th. They're 4-1. They'll be hosting NC State, who's 4-2. 8 o'clock ACC Network, Duke still favored. NC State still struggling points-wise, but this is a 46.5 point over-under. Starting quarterback, I believe, is a question mark for the Duke Blue Devils. Yet, they are still favored in this ballgame. So, uh, they'll have an opportunity to move to 5-1 and one with a big win over NC State. A couple of the notables. Um, Pittsburgh isn't very good, I admittedly. I've only caught portions of a couple of their games, but that defense is still very strong. Still very good defensive front there for the Pittsburgh uh, Panthers. They still had an opportunity to beat Clemson this past week, but did not quite come up with a victory there. And they are at home. They'll be hosting the Louisville Cardinals, who will be heavy favorites there. Of course, Louisville looking to not have a letdown after the big win last week. They'll have to have their headgear strapped on. They're 6-0 now. Pittsburgh is 1-4 and 
and uh, the cards are favored by seven and a half on the road. It's a 630 CW Network game. And also UTSA, Frank Harris is back at quarterback. He's set all the career records at that school. Um, they were able to beat Temple up last week. Um, they beat Texas State. They have losses to Tennessee Army and Houston, though. Not quite the season that they expected, but hopefully they have a lot more luck going forward. Just a fun football team when everything's locked and loaded for them. They're hosting UAB and the Fighting Trent Dilfers. Um, there's been some interesting clips coming out about his coaching style since he's taking over head coaching football gig and just how aggressive he's yelling and getting in people's faces on the sideline. His his players, which is perhaps over the top. Um, so you have to wonder what the messaging is now that they're two and four. They did manage a win last week over South Florida. They do have one of the leading passers in the country in Zeno. Is it Joe Zeno? Jacob Zeno. There we go. Completing 75.5% of his passes for almost 1,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, five picks. He's also got three touchdowns on the ground. Um, but just a lot of a lot of throwing the ball there for UAB, and they'll be playing against what will hopefully be a much better UTSA Roadrunner team in the back half of the season. Last up, your late night games. There's only a couple of them this year. This, oh my goodness, this week. Time is flying. Two games this week. Colorado State will be hosting Boise State. Not a lot of hot action here, but Boise State, 2-0 in the Mountain West after a rough 3-3 start. They're favored by 7.5 on the road in Fort Collins. Still trying to get things kind of going. Again, ground offense is the focus there with Taylor Green. They beat San Diego State last week. Uh, kind of struggled to do so, but they managed it. After two tough losses to Washington and Central Florida to start the season, they've won three of their last four. Finally, Hawaii will be hosting a god-awful San Diego State team, team that uh, struggles to score, and um, just a couple two and four Mountain West teams at 11 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. So that is your late night slate. So here are your categories. Must-watch game of the week is, of course, Oregon at Washington in that afternoon window. Number seven and number eight, the two best well-rounded teams from the Pac-12. Again, I tend to lean the home team when teams are about uh, equal. Uh, Washington was number six in my preseason rankings. If I thought they could have gone through conference play with only one loss, perhaps I would have bumped them a bit higher. Oregon's defense has been a little bit better, but the quality competition hasn't been. Washington's been putting backups in in the third quarter, so I'm not sure what to take away from all that. Perhaps not being able to generate as much pressure will be a problem, but all the stats will bear out when these two powerhouses meet on the field next Saturday afternoon. Audible, you're tossing out all the supposed big games on the slate and going with something new. That is the noon window, which is pretty empty as it is. But Florida State hosting Syracuse. Is Florida State going to continue to look good? Will I kind of take a nap halfway through this one? Will Syracuse, who's still that well-coached football team, be able to kind of hang in? Of course, it is um, on the road for them. But will Florida State clean the clock of what is 
by most metrics, a pretty decent football team, even if it's not really considered one worth keeping an eye on for national media purposes. They do have Duke next week, Florida State does, so they do have maybe a touch of a look ahead here. That's also at home, so just need to take care of the orange this week. Your check-in game. Iowa at Wisconsin is dirty, but um, could determine who wins one of the divisions in the Big Ten. So check in and see how that's going. Your small screen starlet, again, lots of good teams from the non-Power 5 playing each other. Wyoming at Air Force could be a big Mountain West matchup. Marshall at Georgia State is a big one in the um, Sunbelt Conference. You also have my pick, which is going to be Georgia Southern at James Madison in that noon window who are probably probably going to have a winner for there coming out of the Sun Belt. Fresno State is playing at Utah State on Friday as well. Liberty at Jacksonville State for Conference USA on Thursday. I tend to try to stick and fill these categories with um, Saturday games. So Georgia Southern at James Madison also in that noon window is my small screen starlet game. Underrated. Arizona at Washington State, I would say, but that's on the Pac-12 network. So if you can't get eyes on that, which is, again, to what I would think would be middle-tier Pac-12 teams that are still pretty good programs there, I would say Cal at Utah. Is Cam Rising going to play the damn football game? Is he going to play it all this year? If he does, is it going to push Utah to a next level offensively? Because that defense is really good. It is really good, but they're put in some difficult positions when the offense is so bad. So bad. And Cal. Cal can put up some points. They can be frisky. You know, can they pull another upset and and really push um, Utah here? Cam Rising, especially if he's on the roster. Can they officially put an end to any chance at the playoffs and uh, the Pac-12 championship for Utah, who's won it back-to-back seasons? and move over 500 halfway through the year, that would really be something. So Cal at Utah or Arizona at Washington State for my underrated games. And your late night snack is an easy one. That's Boise State, the best team on the slate, playing at Colorado State, trying to move to 3-0 and in conference play and just over 500 for the season. So thank you very much. Enjoy your football this week. I'll talk to you later. Bye.